Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. And when you could see it, would you say amen? Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And all the people said, Amen. So I want you to notice the, the last clause, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So we're going to start a new series, and the series is entitled The Family Business, The Family Business, in which we're going to explore the business of families. And uh, what I'm going to deal with today by way of introduction is the subject, The Blessing is Back. The Blessing is Back. I want you to lift one of your hands up high to the Father, and let's, let's ask the Lord to speak to us and and empower us and equip us and enable us and do what he does with us. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we need you now more than ever in this day, in this hour, this generation. We need you to give us wisdom, direction, instruction, understanding, and prudence. God, as you enlighten us and enable us to make the very best choices and decisions in life. May our children's children reap the benefits of the decisions we make in this generation. God, may we build platforms upon which our successions can stand tall. May we develop and embrace generational visions so that your name can be glorified with each new generation. In Jesus Christ's name we have prayed and let all the saints of God say amen. Amen. Thank you. So I want you to notice a few things by way of introduction. Namely that the word blessing, the word blessing is reintroduced to sacred vocabulary here after it has disappeared for some time. Let me explain what I mean. I mean that when God made man, first thing he did was bless him, which, ex- which I suppose reveals his highest intention for us, that we be blessed. So God made man in his own image, 
In the image of God made he him, male and female made he them, and God blessed them. First thing he did, he blessed them. However, we get to Genesis 3, in which the fall of man, the fall of man occurs. And we are introduced to a new word, and the word is curse. Cursed be the ground for thy sake. Cursed, a curse upon the serpent. And, and the curse begins to characterize the evolution of civilization from that point forward. The word blessing disappears from the Bible. Because Adam's transgression brought a curse into the earth. The difference between a blessing and a curse um, in terms of its end result is that a blessing causes you to flourish, to prosper, to increase, to, to get better. It affects your health, it affects your wealth, it affects your happiness. When you're blessed, you're constantly increasing, expanding, growing, flourishing, you're fruitful, you're productive, things that you do work. It's the blessing. You have children. Um, it's a blessing. The word curse is now the opposite of that in terms of its effect. The opposite is that everything starts deteriorating. So quality of life starts to deteriorate. Length of days start to deteriorate. Um, health deteriorates. Wealth deteriorates. Everything starts to decrease, diminish, and spoil and become rotten as if a force is working against your success. And it's understandable how some people feel like they are under a curse because perhaps whatever you tried to do, no matter how good it looked, no matter how sound it was on paper, it just couldn't work. It just collapses into frustration, disillusionment. Um, and that feels like a curse. There are some people who literally believe that they were born under a curse. That because of the lifestyles of their parents or grandparents, they are doomed to repeat certain, certain mistakes. Uh, some people believe that their marriage is doomed to fail because of a string of failures in their ancestry. Some people believe that they are doomed to die young because others in the family have died young. Some believe that it's inevitable that they'll become an alcoholic because dad was an alcoholic, granddad was an alcoholic. It's a matter of time before I'm an alcoholic. Some people believe that they are going to prison. They haven't committed the crime yet, but they're going to prison because they just believe that because this is in my history, my family tree, it's going to happen to me. And churches haven't exactly helped in that respect because we came up with a really, really interesting doctrine on the generational curse 
in which we told people that even though you're born again, and even though the blood of Jesus has, washed, has cleansed you from all unrighteousness, you may still pay for the sins of your fathers and your grandfathers. Therefore, you need extraordinary, uh, you need an extraordinary intervention, usually in the form of um, some extreme prayer meeting in your house in which we're going to cleanse it, deliver you. You need deliverance. But I tell you, that, that, the doctrine just took a lot of ground, made a lot of ground because people needed to understand why, why I can't keep a job, why I can't keep a, a relationship, why I can't keep money. It must be that there's a curse that needs to be broken. So let me tell you something about generational curses really quickly. Can I do that? Um, there is such a thing as a generational curse in the scriptures and... Um, it is where God says that the Lord your God is a jealous God who visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Okay? So in other words, for three and four generations, you could be paying for the sins uh, of your ancestors. And uh, however, the scripture doesn't end there. It's very important when you quote scripture to quote it in its context. So here's what it says. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, but to them that love me, showing mercy and kindness. You see, the moment you fall in love with God and you become a lover of Jesus Christ, you are automatically delivered from any generational curse. And the reason is that all things, watch this now, all things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes all you're doing is actually fulfilling the prophecy you've made over yourself. Has little to do with the sins of your parents or their parents. Has to do with your psychology, your deep belief that something's going to go wrong. If we shifted somehow, transitioned to believing that something's going to go right, to believing that the curse that has been on my family stops with me. It stops with me because I am blessed. I am blessed because I love him and he loves me. I am cleansed from all unrighteousness and every result of the curse has been fully resolved by the blood of Christ. As you start walking in that consciousness of salvation, then ultimately uh, you will see a new outcome for your life. Sometimes you have to watch the words of your mouth. Wish I had some help in here today. Because we are snared by the words of our mouth. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue is a small member in your body, but it's like the helm of a ship. Has the power to determine the direction of the entire vessel. So instead of speaking death into your life, speaking ill health into your life, speaking prison into your life, speaking addiction into your life, speaking marital failure into your life, your job now is to speak life into your into your life and to do like God to do like God in the beginning in the Genesis God looked at darkness and said let there be light isn't that right so speak what you want to see not what you can see does that make sense that's the difference walking by faith and not by sight it's speaking what you want to see and it's not just saying it in a service but making it part of your language and your vocabulary that you now speak about your future in terms of the blessing and not in terms of a curse 
Everybody say the curse stops right here. That's right. Whatever has been in my family tree, if they died young, I'll be the first to live a long and full life. Wish I had some help. If, they, if their marriage has failed, I'll be the first to have a successful marriage till death us do part. I wish I had some help. If they were alcoholics, I'll be the first to be free. Somebody say the curse stops with me. Stops right here. You're the curse blocker and the curse stopper. Everyone in your family need to be grateful for you because you're the blocker and you're the stopper. You're changing the family story. You are changing the family story. If you are that person, would you clap your hands to Jesus and let him know that you believe the word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amazing. So I want you to notice that... uh, That it is not until Abraham that the word blessing comes back into sacred vocabulary. In other words, there's been no blessing. That's why we have the antediluvian world. That's why we have the demise of civilization from which only eight souls were saved, Noah and his family. That's why we have the Tower of Babel. We have this gross rebellion. We have this disintegration of humanity because a curse is upon the earth. That is until Abraham. Abraham is the man that God says, get up out of your country and from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you as you go. I'll show you as you go. Not, not, not I'll show you and you go. You go and I'll show you. So this is a man that has to walk by faith. He has to walk by his ears and not by his eyes. Because I'm going to show you as you go. Which means I'm going to have to be listening. And one of the things that God said to Abraham was this. Walk before me and be perfect. I love that. Walk before me and be perfect. Well, Lord, I don't want to walk before you. I want to walk behind you. No, walk before me. Because if you walk before me, you have to rely on your ears more than on your eyes. Isn't that right? You have to rely on my voice not on, what, on your circumstance and what you can see. So Abraham begins his journey of faith. Let's all say the journey of faith. And as he begins the journey of faith, God makes promises to him. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. So here, here, now, here now, the blessing that was lost in Eden has come back to Abraham. And God says, I will bless you. We haven't heard that language since the Garden of Eden, but now God is breaking into his world and saying, I will bless you and I'm going to make your name great. Hmm, that's, a, that's a whole sermon by itself. Uh, I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him that curses you. God's serious. When God says, I'm going to bless you, it's deep, all right? I will bless those that bless you. I will curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So I want you to notice that the blessing of Abraham cannot be appropriated by an individual. It is a blessing upon families. Wish I had some help in here. 
He didn't say, in you shall everyone that believes be blessed. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Which means that this, if I am to obtain the blessing, I am going to have to become part of a family. I need to say it again. If I'm to obtain the blessing, I must find myself part of a family. Because the blessing is coming upon families. In fact, I want you to notice that the blessing, the blessing of Abraham is linked to two things. Everyone say two things. It is linked to faith and it is linked to family. It's linked to faith. It's linked to family. It's not possible without faith. It's not possible without family. Notice very carefully. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Okay? But now it's your, you have to believe that in order to even start the journey. So your faith is important. But the blessing I have for you is simply not possible without a family. Okay? So Abraham cannot walk off and say, you know what? I am blessed. I am blessed every day. Yeah, I am blessed. No, you're going to need to go find Sarah. Because you cannot live out what I'm telling you without a Sarah, without an Isaac, who has a Rebecca, who has a Jacob, who has a Rachel, who has 12 sons. Come on, somebody. You can't live it without a family. There are dimensions of grace you cannot experience outside of a family because they are reserved for the context of a family. Now, I know some of you are in bitter agony right now. You're twisting in your seat trying to style it out. <laughs> because you're saying, you know what, Bishop? I really don't have one of them. I was raised in a dysfunctional environment that God had to deliver me from to preserve my sanity. I was raised in care or by somebody else or... I have been through such trauma in the name of family that I actually don't even want to hear this message today. I'm only sitting here because it looks awkward to walk out right now. It'll create more questions than it will give answers. But I, I'm going to speak about the dysfunctions of family. And I'm going to make something very clear uh, in my teaching that there are four types of family uh, that I'm dealing with here today. There are, there are, there are types of family. Let's all say types of family. All right, so there is your biological family. Let's all say biological family. Okay, and your biological family, you really don't get to choose when it comes to your biological family, okay? There's no choice. You're just born into it, okay? Your brothers, your sisters, your father, your mother, your cousins, your aunts, your, your uncles, these are not choices that you've made. You've simply arrived in a unit that is linked biologically. That's your biological family. And sometimes those families are dysfunctional. Fair to say? Oh, come on now. Many of you already have the crazy uncle. You know that. Some of you, your worst nightmare would be that your father comes to church. Because you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to say. Our biological realities can be quite dysfunctional at times. But that's not the only family that we have. Can I hear an amen? There's another kind of a family. It's called a spiritual family. Let's all say spiritual family. Now let's say it with authority. Spiritual family. 
your spiritual family, um, how many actually feel at home here today, right now? Come on now, because that's what this is meant to be. Can I tell you that the church, the model for church is not corporate. Woo! The model for church is not corporate. Any attempts we make to to try to pattern the church after a corporation is always going to wind up in spiritual failure and spiritual disaster because the model for church is not corporation. The model for church is family. What I'm Because you see, in a corporation, actually no one has your back. Everyone has their own back. In a corporation, you have to understand that everyone works because of pay. You have to understand that in a corporation, somebody wants your job and somebody wants your post. In in corporation, it's not the person, it's the performance exclusively. And if you are not performing, then, then you have to get out of the way. And many churches have tried to mirror the corporate world in how they actually construct themselves and grow. But the real model, biblical model, is family. Everyone say family. And you know, there's something about family. There are bonds that transcend mistake, error, failure, poor performance, etc. You don't stop loving your son or your daughter because they have not performed well. Is this making sense? You don't actually kick people out of your family because they made a mistake. As I say, we'll deal with your dysfunctions in another session. But the point of the matter is that when it comes to family, people do have your back. When it comes to family, you are covered. When it comes to family, uh, there are you matter more than your ability to perform. And that's exactly what the church is meant to be. It is meant to be an extended family and a spiritual family. Everyone say spiritual family. But then there's also your adopted family. Let's all say adopted. Which simply means that each of you, some of you, have already adopted people uh, and have made them an extension of your family. Sometimes these are kids in the community. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you have built relationships in the community and you have become a family figure to those relationships because you have adopted those people into your life. You care about them and if they're in trouble, you are there for them. If they need something, you are there there for them. They're not related to you by blood, but you have adopted them into your life as part of your adopted family. Can I hear an amen? And then I suppose in, in, in the big scheme of things, there's the human family. And how many of you are part of the human family? And the rest of you, what, 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 movie, what movie did you come out of? Okay, so, uh, so there is a sense of brotherhood. If, if I, don't, I don't have to know you to feel like you have rights, that you are an important person that should be treated with dignity and respect. I don't have to know you because we are fellow humans. Is that making sense? Okay, so when it comes to family, the fact of the matter is that human... The fact is that science or biology often mirrors spiritual truth. So if you want to understand a spiritual truth, sometimes you look into at natural law. Natural laws often mirror spiritual laws. Is this making sense? So in the natural world, a human being that is born into the world cannot survive without a family. Now, I didn't say it was the perfect nuclear family of 2.1 or whatever the case is. I didn't say it was a father and a mother. I simply said this. If you abandon a baby at birth, the baby cannot survive. 
a human being. There are some species of animal that can survive without a parent. Does that make sense? But human beings cannot. If a baby is born and abandoned, the baby is going to die. Is that fair to say? So why do we think it's possible in the spiritual world for babies to be born and not be part of a family? Let's think about this for just a minute because there's doctrines out there in the, in the universe, in the ether, in the atmosphere. Doctrines that you, you don't need a church. You just have faith in God, man. It's a private thing. It's just a personal thing. It is personally believed and everything's fine. You have no evidence of that in biology. You have no evidence of that in science. And you have no evidence of that in scripture. When somebody comes to faith, the very next step is family. Because the blessing of Abraham is linked to faith and family. Can I hear an amen? So I know I couldn't be where I am today were it not for a spiritual family. It just would not have happened because I couldn't look after myself. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't explain the Bible to myself. I, I tried to explain the Bible to myself. Let me tell you what I came up with. I remember reading in the book of Revelation that there were seven spirits of God. And I remember teaching. I said, you know what? There are seven gods. You need to know that. I said, we only know three of them right now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when we get to heaven, we're going to know the other four. That's, that's me teaching myself. Okay? When people teach themselves, they come up with heresy and every other doctrine. You absolutely need a family and a functional family at that if you are to grow and become a grounded, sound, discipled uh, representation of Jesus Christ. You will see that even Jesus, when he started his mission, didn't go out to fulfill it by himself. His first job was to recruit a team. And yes, his team had issues. Guess what? yours does too and mine's does too everybody has issues but Jesus created a team and it was through the teamwork that he made the dream work he did not try to go out and do it by himself how many ever read the verse that says no man is an island You read it, but not in the Bible. The Bible does not say no man is an island, right? That's a song. Let me tell you, though, that it might as well be in the Bible because it's true that actually we are created to be interdependent beings, not independent beings. Give me a little bit more time on this, and I, will, I promise I will take it home. Nothing God made in the universe is independent. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing on this planet that can survive by itself. It's dependent. It's dependent on weather. It's dependent on sunlight. It's dependent on moisture. It's dependent on, it, it, is, it sits within an ecosystem of interdependence. Nothing is independent. And if there is a cell in your body that is absolutely independent of the functioning of the rest of your body, that cell is called cancer. It kills you. It does not generate life. The minute your hand starts acting independent of your brain, I have to avoid you. Some of you got heavy hands. Your hand might just hit me. I don't want to be hit by your hand and then for you to say, it wasn't me, it, the hand just does it all by itself. Your honor, it wasn't me. I didn't pick up the knife. It was my hand. Send my hand to jail. 
that's just not how we're made. That's not how we function. That's not how life is. That's not how plant life is. Animal life is. Marine life is. Uh, 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 bird life is. Everything is in an interdependent universe and therefore God is the author of interdependence, not independence. When you start feeling independent, you're about to die. When you start operating independent, your vision is going to die. Because any vision that you can fulfill all by yourself, without a team, without anybody else, it is not only too small... But it sounds more like a nightmare to me than a vision. When God called Moses to Mission Impossible, immediately recruiting a team. Hello? I'm going somewhere today. So what do you think the devil's scared of? You think the devil is scared of you or is he scared of your team? I'm going somewhere with this. We don't understand the power of team and dream. Uh, but see, God made it such that the only way to manifest a dream is with a team. He's made it that way. And not only does God know this, the devil knows this. The devil knows that once you start building team around your dream, you're likely to bring the dream to pass. So long as the dream is just your dream in your head that you're going to figure out all by yourself and make happen all by yourself, he can entertain you for a while and he can even encourage you to keep on keeping on killing yourself. Why do you think it is? Well, let's put it this way. God made Adam, right? Before he made Eve, correct? <laughs> then look at me in that academic tone of voice. God made Adam before he made Eve, right? How long was Adam in the garden before Eve came along? Who knows the exact time? I love it. Don't you just love eye accessing cues? Where people use their eyes to look into their brain. <laughs> how long? I said, how long was Adam in the garden before Eve came up? Well, you can search a little more. Guess what? You don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Right? We just know that when God brought Eve out of Adam, and now Adam is not a man; he's a team. Help me, Jesus. Now Adam is not a man. He's a team. That then and only then did the serpent show up. Understand that the whole time Adam was by himself, the serpent never showed up. That's such good preaching. You should be screaming right now. The whole time Adam was by himself, the serpent never showed up. But once he had teamwork behind the dream work, the serpent showed up to divide the team and conquer the vision. I wish I had some help. See, so long as you are a lone ranger operating by yourself, for yourself, you haven't even met the real devil yet. The real devil is coming against you when you get serious about your destiny. And the only day you become serious about your destiny is the day you start recruiting team. You recruit team, then you'll make it all happen. Isn't that what God said at the Tower of Babel? He said, look, the people are one. They have one language. Whatever they imagine, they can do it. 
we're going to divide their language. When, when people are one in terms of their obsession and their determination and they speak the same language, they are unstoppable. But individuals are stoppable. Somebody's looking at me saying, well, Bishop, what about Samson? If you want to end up blind and crushed under stones, then you go right ahead and model Samson all day. But that's not the plan right now. The plan, you see, and let me tell you something. This is really, really important for our generation particularly. For our generation, this is important because we are still looking for another Martin Luther King, a Marcus Garvey. Someone, some great leader who will come and lead us. But have you not noticed? They get assassinated. They get shot. They get killed. When you have a messianic complex that wants to be the Lone Ranger, and, the, and, and the, 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 you become an easy target. Does that make sense? But if you actually build a team around the dream, it's so much harder to kill the dream. Because you can't just take out one person and the dream is over. The dream lives because the dream lives inside of a team. Can I hear an amen? So Adam and Eve now have the potential to populate the planet. Here now comes the serpent. While Adam is by himself, there is no potential. But once Adam has team with behind the dream, he's dangerous and the serpent comes against him. So it's very important to realize that the war, the original war, was a war on family. Because family is the fountain of all productivity. Not only the basic unit in society, but it's the fountain of productivity. Things come out of family that cannot come out of individuals. Because of the mastermind, the collective mind that exists in a family whether it's biological or spiritual families are where the blessing is one more time say the blessing is back so I want you to notice that it was not the it was not the size of Abraham's family that mattered it was the succession of his family it was not how large the family is but it's how long the family is yeah because, you know, it's not that Abraham physically had lots of children. He had Isaac. <laughs> this is making sense? But what he had in Isaac was succession. What he had in Isaac was another generation. What he had in Isaac was a future. Without Isaac, he had no succession. He had no future. And see, God's dreams for us and God's destiny and God's plans for us are too big to squeeze into any one person's lifetime. You can't squeeze it in to one person's lifetime. And so what God has promised to do is keep the covenant he makes with you with your children from generation to generation. In other words, his purposes would be fulfilled in generational increments. And with each new generational increment, there would be an increase whether it's an increase of wealth whether it's an increase of authority an increase of 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 territory there would be an increase with each new generation until finally uh, the promises made to the patriarch are fulfilled but they fulfilled 
in generational increments. That was the plan of God. That's what we see working out in Abraham. That's why, Abraham, your faith is going to be important, number one. Number two, your family is going to be important because I'm going to bless you in generational increments. And somebody else is cringing in their seat right now because they're saying, well, I don't have any children. I have no plans of having children. I don't know I'm going to have any children. I don't know who you're preaching to, Bishop, because it's not me. Oh, that's basically what you're saying is that whenever you transition from this life, you're gone for good. That's what you're saying. And you don't want to say that. What you want to be saying is that if I don't have biological children, I'm going to adopt people. I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest who I am into a future generation. I'm going to make sure that the lessons I've learned, the wisdom that I have acquired, do not stop with me. I'm going to build teams, and I'm going to build those teams for, for futures because I'm going to see way beyond. I'm going to see way. You see, a great, na- a great name is not a good name. A great name is the name that actually keeps living after you've gone to heaven. That's a great name. That make sense? Great people are only, only become great after they leave. Does that make sense? Good people are good while they're here, but great people are great after they've gone. Is that making sense? So it's important for you to have uh, some sort of generational vision. Now I'm going I'm to take it home by sharing with you a story. Because what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going I'm to start to deal with, with some really real social issues real social issues that have their roots in the systematic destruction of our family consciousness, okay? I'm going to say that much of what we are suffering is the result of the destruction, the systematic and strategic destruction of our family consciousness. And I'm going to try, I'm going to do such, such battle with demonic forces and generational demons in this series because I'm going to drive out of us somehow by his grace in the next few weeks. We're going to drive out of us the idea that we have any future, any success outside of the consciousness of Family and faith. Very powerful. So I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a true story. It's about me. That normally gets people listening. It's about me in an Uber. Yeah, I was in an Uber. And uh, as I do in the Uber, I end up talking to the driver. Because some, some of these drivers, they see you coming. They're like, oh, I'm going to talk to this one. They're going to talk. So this particular driver, he was from Somalia. And he said to me that he came to the United Kingdom when he was five years old, and he came as a refugee, and he, he came because war, because uh, the civil war was raging in Somalia, and they got access into the UK. So he said he'd been here since he was five years old. And he said, you know, the family took advantage of education, insisted that he was well-educated, insisted that he did well at school, so he did well at school, and he was able to land quite a good job. He landed quite a good job, and he made progress up the ladder with his good job. And uh, he said he met his wife when he was in his 20s, and she she had also come over as a refugee, but they did not know each other in Somalia, but they had met each other through these groups. And, uh, and he married his wife, and he said that she also did well, and we were both doing very, very well financially. We had good jobs, and she, he said to me that actually our combined incomes, our combined incomes per annum 
was over 60,000 pounds. And this is in the 70s. So you, you have to understand that this was a lot of money. And he said, we, we had secure jobs. We had good incomes. We had lots of disposable money because we were still living with family. And we decided we wanted to buy a house. So here's what we did. We went to the bank. We thought the bank's going to give us a mortgage, certainly. He said, we, we went to the bank, and the bank looked at us and decided to give us the runaround. And they said, well, um, 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 you need to uh, fill out this form and then fill out that form and fill out the other form and, and prove this and prove that. He said, we went through it all meticulously because we thought that's what everyone goes through. So we filled out all the forms. We brought the forms back and they said, well, you're just going to have to wait now. Just wait for a decision. And then uh, weeks went by, weeks went by, something like a month. And he called back and said, what's happened to our application? And they said, uh, what application? Said, well, we've put in application and all the supporting documents four weeks ago. And they said, oh, we're really sorry. We can't even find them. We can't find the application. We can't find all the documentation. We would you mind doing it again? And at that point, he became aware of racism. He became aware of systemic racism. And he realized that here, the system discriminated against him, that they were not going to give him a mortgage, and it was just never going to happen. Even though his friends, where he worked, were getting mortgages, they were earning less than him, he decided that this was, this was a, a systemic problem. So here's what he did. He, sa he said, I have 11 brothers. I have 11 brothers. So he went to his brothers and he said to them, look, we can't get the mortgage from the bank, but we've got a lot of money saved up and we earn a lot of money. Perhaps we could all put the money together and buy the house. And they reached this conclusion that they will all put their money together and they will buy the house for the one guy and his wife, and he would pay them back over three to five years without interest. Now, this was interesting. So they bought the house with no mortgage from the bank, just family money. Three to five years later, they had paid back the entire amount, and they were now sitting on a home that they owned debt-free. Now, this was so impressive that other brothers said, well, we want a house now. So they said, well, let's just do it again. So they put all their money together and bought the second one a house. And he, by the time he was driving me, he said, all 11 of us own a house and none of us have never had a mortgage. I'm sitting here and obviously, I don't know what meeting I was going to, it has gone out of my mind entirely. This man is literally telling me the solution to whatever you think is systemically against you in society. The solution was to have a family that had enough trust, character, fiber, and all of the cor correct bonds in order to pool their resources together to make something happen for one and then when that was paid back make it happen for another and when that was paid back make it happen for another and they moved on and they moved up the scale obviously these properties that they bought for just over a hundred thousand back then are now worth over a million so with 11 brothers they're now sitting on massive amounts of assets and it all came through their what their family Hello, don't scream at me because I'm preaching good because I'm about to preach real good right now and tell you that after the Second World War, 
this country, the government of this country, invited citizens of the Commonwealth to come to the United Kingdom to work to help rebuild the country that had been devastated by the Second World War. There were buildings and streets in ruins. There was the loss of manpower. There was lots of things to do. And the government invited citizens of the Commonwealth to come from India, from Africa, from the Caribbean to come in and help rebuild the country. Now, as, as is typically the case, the government did not really consult with the people. The people um, didn't think this was a good idea. The government did think it was a good idea. So when the immigrants arrived, the people rejected them. Right? The people said, no, we don't want you here. They literally said, we want no blacks, we want no Irish, and we want no dogs. Out. And they put these notices in the windows. They put these notices, vacancies, vacancies, no blacks. This was normal. This is exactly what the Windrush generation went through and encountered and experienced. Is this making sense for anyone today? Okay, so this actually happened. But it didn't just happen for black people. It happened for every other ethnic group that came into the country at the invitation. They were initially rejected by the system. But here's what some did. Some said, we may lose a lot in this country, but what we're not going to lose is our sense of family. So what they did was they huddled together in one room and they all worked and put money into one pot. Y'all ain't going to help. Then eventually they said, we're going to buy this room. And they bought the first room and they kept living in the room and saving and saving until they said, now we're going to open up a shop underneath this room. And as they opened up the shop, then they'd save and save, and they'd open up another one, and buy another one, and buy another one, and they were doing it without mortgages, without loans, without the banking system. They were doing it on the strength of family. As the years went by, 10, 20, 30 years went by, now many of these families own entire streets. They, they are now supporting their families back home. Their children have the best educations. They can afford university and all of the other things that go with it. And they have gone up the social and economic scale, having established themselves, and they established themselves through the power of family while other groups decided that they could just have kids willy-nilly everywhere with anyone and just leave the girl because I never, I, that was not the plan. Other groups didn't understand the responsibility of raising a child. Other groups had already fallen out with cousins, uncles. It was just war, fighting. Other groups failed to leverage the power of family, couldn't trust each other. Someone's looking at me and saying, yes, but that's because, and I'm sure it's because, I'm sure there's lots of good because reasons. I'm not here dealing with the cause, dealing with the effect. The effect is there's a whole generation now who are starting from scratch by themselves with nothing, nothing. There is no pot to help you start the business. There's no pot to help you get your first mortgage. There's no pot to help you along the way. You're starting with nothing. And I came by to say that curse stops here. That curse stops here. You may have inherited nothing. You may have inherited nothing. But can we decide that our future will inherit something? Hello, somebody. Can we make that decision? 
There are enough of us in here, in this room right now, to buy anything we decide to buy. Y'all ain't going to help. Y'all better stand up because y'all just want to go and eat chicken and rice, jollof, stew. I don't know what's on your heart. Yeah. There are enough of us in here to buy anything we wanted to buy. Did you know that? Listen to me. Because we haven't understood the family business, the business of family, the business of family, it is our elderly that do not have a nursing home. It is our children that do not have a nursery school. It's our community that have no bank that can give someone a foot up on the ladder. It's our group struggling to survive because we didn't understand the business of the family. Now, whether it's your biological family, it's time you sit down and have a review of your business. What? Your business. Whether it's a spiritual family, it's time we have a review of our business. Our business. Your adopted family, you need to get them together and have a review of our business. Because this thing called family is the Father's business. It's how God accelerates the impact of people of faith. It's how God promised to bless Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, but you have to understand this. It's going to be linked to your faith, and it's going to be linked to families. So now you're going to have to organize yourselves into groups. This is so deep. The rest of you that are not standing, is it a pain in your legs or something? Is it, what's going on here? Half of us are standing, half of us are staring. Let's, let's, let's try to stand up here for a second, right? Listen to this. The book of Proverbs says, Six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. Then when he starts listing the things that the Lord hates, every one of them is a violation of a human relationship. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, swift feet that are swift to mischief. Did you notice that? Now, here's the situation. The six things that God hated was to do with the violation of sound relationships, right? But watch this, preachers. The seventh thing was not a thing. It was a person. He said, and he that sows discord among his brethren. Everything else was a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift to mischief. 
but he who sows discord among his brethren. You know why? Because when you sow discord among brethren, you guarantee the destruction of the house. Because a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. It is brought to desolation. And you become the enemy, the agent of Satan by simply sowing discord. We have to become the church that realizes that our children and their children need us to be strong and need us to be united and need us to be forward thinking and need us to be futuristic and need us to be trusting and need us to be sacrificing. And we cannot be trusting whilst entertaining discord. So sometimes we have to become the people that put plugs in our ears. is so deep. I don't, know who, I don't know who I'm preaching this for today. I'm preaching this for someone. Do you know the rabbis teach that gossip is a worse sin than murder? Do you know why? They say because if you murder someone, you kill them once. But when you gossip against them, you kill them over and over and over and over again. It's deep, isn't it? Do you, in your, in your biological family, do you let outsiders talk about your sister? Is that what you do? Even when you know your sister's wrong, is that what you do? You don't, do you? You stop and you say, you know what? That's my sister. And if you like the size of your lip right now, <laughs> it's best you stop. <laughs> it's quite deep, isn't it? You like this. <laughs> I didn't know where that came from. We better pray. Bishop is in trouble. <laughs> Rescue the bishop. <laughs> Let's pray. Amen. Father God, in Jesus' mighty name, we are praying, Lord, that in this month, we will discover the keys and the secrets that will make us strong as people. I pray, Lord, that as a result of this month, uh, saints will become homeowners. I pray that as a result of this month, saints will, will develop potentials that we could not have developed by ourselves. I pray that we will leave this month, Father, with a consciousness that we are creating platforms for each generational increment to shine, to stand, to get bigger and taller. And Father, we, we are praying that you will bless us with that consciousness and with the blessing of Abraham. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed. And let all the saints that love the Lord say amen. Say amen. Praise be to God. Let's give Jesus a great big hand clap. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired informed and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, 
This is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.